The scripture reading from, for today is from 1 Samuel, um, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Listen now for the word of God found in the first book of Samuel. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerom, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate, and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> now, it is said that in the very beginning, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, sweeping over the seas like a gull, stirring up something, something big, something new. My whole life, I've loved the poetry of those first 
lines of scripture, especially the phrase, darkness covered the face of the deep. In my mind, I can just see the Nova IMAX documentary. There are wide shots of galaxies swirling in chaos, and then suddenly, an intense bass note is paired with a screen gone black. And the narrator begins to speak in a strangely calm voice, a voice that sounds like God. Darkness covered the face of the deep. Can you just see it? This darkness is a gorgeous thing. And if we keep reading just two more verses, we hear God's first act of creation. Before God does anything else, on the very first day, God says, let there be light. But what we often miss is that God outlined both light and dark that day, calling both into creation. And God blesses each of them like children with names, naming one day and the other night. And finally, God steps back to take a good look at these children day and night and declares they are both good. Yes, even darkness, shadow, night. And, there was, and then there was evening and then there was morning the first day. And this is this eternal pattern in which the whole universe was created and continues to be created still. First orange light peaks and creeps up over the horizon, following a well-worn path across the dome overhead. And soon, just as it's reached its highest height, the pinnacle of brightness at high noon, it invariably begins its descent. The sun eases back down the sky to slip between the covers of the horizon, and darkness covers the face of the deep once more. This is the rhythm of creation, the wheel of nature. Our seasons embrace it too. The summer days grow longer. And then, when, after summer solstice comes, the light begins to retreat. Even the moon follows this cycle with its waxing until it reaches its fullness. And the next night, you can already see it has begun to wane. But we humans, we have always fancied ourselves special. We feel like we should be the exception to this rule and rhythm. And we hold these hidden expectations that if we just do things right, if we live our life in the right way, our life will be eternal day, eternal summer, eternal light. We firmly believe that there are people out there who do live happily ever after, and we think we should too. Why do we think that? We, we've seen it in magazines, we've seen it on social media. Those glamorous people have it made. And so we teach our children, if you're good, if you make good choices and good grades, get a good job, a family, a house, if you do all those things, you will be rewarded with the good life, happily ever after. But the reality is the sun never lingers at its apex for very long, and a full moon only lasts for one night. The honeymoon never lasts forever. There's nothing that we can do, no good deeds or prayers that will help us bypass this eternal rhythm. All of it, all of it pours forth from the mouth of our creator who calls it all good. And so pain, darkness, loss, loneliness, everything belongs. 
Now, that's easy for me to say. I am a privileged white woman. It's harder to say this, that pain belongs, when you are the one who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. When you're asking God, like the psalmist, what did I do to deserve this? Why didn't I get the happily ever after? Why him? Why me? Why this? But if we accept that everything belongs in God's creation, including night and pain, the question isn't why me anymore. The question becomes, why not me? Because if anyone deserved to get a pass on pain and suffering, it would have been the one who was without sin, Jesus Christ. But not even he was spared from the rhythm of life. He knew intense physical, spiritual, and emotional pain, and so stands in solidarity with us when we suffer. We, in the mainline church, however, we're not known for making room for this half of life, for lament and pain. Our siblings in historically black churches, however, have always embraced the blessedness of darkness and pain through singing together old spirituals. But many churches now are throwing out those depressing prayers of confession that I make you do every week. The word worship becomes synonymous with the word praise. And we dismiss and conceal our brokenness saying, well, at least, or he's in a better place, or everything happens for a reason. Because if we share our true pain with others, we become vulnerable. And that's a scary place to be. It's not polite to go to scary places, to strip off your emotional clothes in front of others, to name your pain. So we say instead, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Oh, but there are others worse off than me. But this, this is not what Hannah does in our reading this morning. Hannah weeps loudly, and she begs to God for what her heart needs. The priest Eli tries to silence her, to dismiss her pain, but she bravely stands up for herself, naming for him where it hurts. She's struggling with infertility, something no doubt very familiar to many here today. Year after year, she has waited in hope while all the women around her seem to have child after child as if it's the most natural thing in the world. She too longs to hold something close to her chest, to swaddle something warm and soft. So why can't she? Why, God? She can't eat, she can't sleep. Her husband tries to console her saying, I love you, Hannah, shouldn't that be enough? And maybe it should, but even so, she still feels the whole. So she goes to the temple and she prays like she's never prayed before. She prays so fervently and intensely, in fact, that Eli thinks she's drunk and he tries to make her leave. But Hannah stands her ground and she names her pain. And then, unexpectedly, Hannah's suffering transforms Eli. In the face of her suffering, his heart grows and warms and turns in compassion. And he's not the only one who's transformed by that conversation of suffering. Hannah, too, she's finally heard. She is also 
transformed. In fact, his compassionate listening heals her so deeply that soon after, she bears a son. But why did Hannah have to first go through those years of infertility? Friends, I don't know. And you might be asking questions like this for yourself. Why do the hits keep coming? Why did it have to happen to him? What did I do to deserve this? Beloved, I don't know why. But also, why not? God's good creation, this gorgeous life we've been given, follows this rhythm. The sun that rises must set. The moon that waxes must wane. And sometimes it's just our turn. If we stayed on top forever, there would be no top, would there? Bliss would become banal. And if there were no bottom, if there weren't suffering and pain and trials, how and when would we ever get around to dismantling our egos and idols, to grow like Eli in compassion and wisdom. Friends, each one of us here today is in some state of waxing or waning. Even if we say, oh, I'm fine at coffee hour, when asked, how are you doing? So perhaps instead of asking, how are you doing, maybe sometimes we should be brave like Hannah and ask, where does it hurt? because it is in the telling and the hearing, Eli's heart grows with compassion and Hannah is healed so deeply, she finally can bear a child. This is the eternal story, not just for Eli and Hannah, but for all of us. It is the way of birth and death and resurrection. So yes, valleys, night and suffering are inevitable, but so is joy, so is love. So if we hold on to each other tight, if we walk through it together, naming and hearing, hearing and naming, we will all emerge transformed, resurrected, healed, even enlightened. So friends, let the healing begin with us. Tell me, where does it hurt? Amen.